It is a strange thing to be gathered together with folks like you on this day, this day we call Ash Wednesday, and before we pray, before we worship, it's important to talk about what this day is, what it means, why we get together. Because in the life of church, there are a lot of special days. They're not just Christmas. They're not just Easter. We have a lot of days we call feast days. Uh, this past Sunday was one. It's called Transfiguration Sunday. And we remember Jesus going on the mountaintop and being transfigured before his friends. But that's a very recent addition to the life of the church. Christians only really started worshiping a day called Transfiguration Sunday in the last 50 or 70 years. There's a lot of days like that. Christ the King Sunday, it's always the last Sunday before the season of Lent, which means it's almost always the Sunday before Thanksgiving. The day where we end the Christian year and we worship Christ as our King, but that's only something that Christians started doing in 1930. Ash Wednesday, gathering together at the beginning of the season of Lent, is at least a thousand years old, if not older. It's one of the most ancient things that we share in the life of the churches being adorned with ashes at the beginning of this long season, remembering our finitude, our brief time here with one another. The first Christians would gather together on Ash Wednesday. They would have ashes placed on them, and for the next 40 days, they would be in intensive study, learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus before they could be baptized on Easter, which would be the first time they could ever have communion. And some, some of the traditions we've held over the thousand years using ashes is one of them. The way we do baptism has changed a lot. A thousand years ago, if you wanted to be baptized, you'd get naked, as we say here in the Shenandoah Valley. They'd put you in a pool, you'd climb out of it and face the east, and they'd give you new clothes to symbolize being clothed with Christ for the first time. We don't do that part anymore. Thank God. But we do... Something perhaps is even stranger. We gather like this, and we had someone like me say to you, dust, and to dust you shall return. Just anecdotally, the first time I ever had an Ash Wednesday service four years ago, I was still sort of fresh out of seminary. I wanted to get everything perfect. I practiced putting my finger in the ashes and making crosses on my hand just to make sure that it wouldn't be, you know, too heavy on the left or on the bottom. I even did it in the mirror to make sure that it wasn't too close to the crown of my nose or too close to the top of my hairline. It was perfect. And that first Ash Wednesday service, we had a lot of people here, and everyone came up, and I, I even smiled, probably at some of you, and I said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's an ominous thing to smile about. And within a couple months, one of the men that had been here that night, he died. And the same thing happened the next year, and the next year, and the next year. Because that's the reality of this. It's not just a really fun, joyful thing we get to do. This is hard truth that we have to confront. Got a couple boys here tonight who are proud graduates of St. John's Preschool. Putting ashes on their foreheads will be one of the hardest things I ever have to do. Because most of you get it. Most of you know people who have died and gathered together for funerals, but for them, it's something all entirely different. This morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, my 10-month-old baby boy came to his first Ash Wednesday service, and I had to take the ashes and mark his forehead and say, you are dust. 
frightening thing, but it's also a faithful thing. Will you please pray with me? Oh God, we confess that we are so unworthy of the blessings you give to us. We're unworthy of our vocations, of our families, of our friends, of our children, of our parents. We are so unworthy of having a church such as this. We are so unworthy to have your love, and yet you love us anyway. We confess, O oh Lord, that we have not done all that we can and all that we should to love you and to love one another. Instead, we settled for being judgmental. So, Lord, we pray and ask that this evening you would strike our hearts, that you would crucify our self-righteousness, that you would adorn our heads with these ashes so that we might remember who we really are and whose we are. And, oh, Lord, we also pray together, lifting up to you, our joys and our concerns silently this evening. And now let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Now we are just reading from the first book, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. If you're here in this place, if you're gathered together with fellow Christians on a night like tonight, you are blessed. You are blessed because you understand and maybe you even grasp what church is really all about. A church is a group of people who gather together, who follow Jesus, and take upon the sins of the world. But of course, we don't take upon the sins of the world in the same way Christ did. We don't carry a cross like that one over our shoulder up to a place called the skull, and we don't put our hands on it and wait for someone to nail us to it. No, that's Christ's cross to bear. But we do bear the sins of the world through confession, through admitting that we have not done all that we can do, that we have not done all that we should do. We confess that God is our judge and has every right to be because we failed. The United Methodist Church has bad titles for books, but we have lots of them. Uh, we have one called the Book of Discipline, and we have one called the Book of Worship. And the Book of Worship is designed for people like me, so that I know what to say to people like you when we gather together in a place like this. There are orders for just about every worship service you can possibly imagine, including 
funerals. And not just funerals, but also services of committal, that time in cemeteries by the grave. And in this book, you can find the words for clergy, and it says very practically, stand at the head of the coffin, and while facing it, cast earth upon it as it is lowered into the grave. Then say these words, Almighty God, into your hands we commend your son or daughter, ensure and certain hope of resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This body we commit to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The last time I did a graveside burial, I held this book of worship in my hands like I've done too many times before. I've read those all too familiar words, and when it came time to cast dirt on the coffin, I couldn't find it. I hadn't prepared and looked for any at the beginning, but in that moment I frantically looked around at the area near the hole, this freshly dug grave in the ground, and I couldn't find anything because they had covered everything with a frighteningly sharp bright green piece of astroturf. So I bent down, I knelt in my robe, and I started ripping up the perfectly manicured grass on the edge of the fabricated lawn. I ripped it up because I needed some dirt. I needed to dirty this pristine and perfect and picturesque committal service because death is not picturesque. Death is not perfect. Death is not free. Death is ugly. And it's disruptive. And so I clawed at the ground. I got that dirt underneath my fingernails until I scraped enough bare earth with my hands that I had a mound together that I could drop onto the coffin. And it was a holy thing. So my hands were covered with dirt and I placed them on top of the coffin and I prayed the words from the book of worship and I paused for silence. And as I finished, I backed away to give space and time to the family to say goodbye before they left. But at that moment, the funeral director motioned for the pallbearers. They didn't go down to that hole that I just dug in the ground. No, they didn't pick up any of the dirt. Instead, they took off these perfectly beautiful white roses from their lapel. And they started putting them on top of the dirt that I just covered the coffin with. Now, of course, it's always much nicer to throw roses than to throw dirt. It's a lot prettier. But almost, like almost everything in the life of the church, particularly in worship, the things we use, the things we do, they have important and theological significance. I would venture to guess that many Christians, in fact, most Christians, have no idea where the words dust to dust, ashes to ashes come from. Even though they hear them at funerals, even though they hear them at Ash Wednesday services, they have no idea where it comes from. But you do. You do because you just heard me read them. From Genesis. These words come to Adam and Eve as God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We call this the end of the beginning. And much has been made about this controversial moment in the Genesis story of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's the slithering serpent who manipulates Eve into doing the forbidden thing. There's Eve's treachery through convincing Adam to join her in the prohibited act. 
Then there's Adam who hides his nakedness and shame when the Lord returns to the garden. It's all pretty harsh. By this act, by this choice, sin was brought into the world. Because of what they did, we now suffer and have been banished from the garden. Women must suffer through things like childbirth. Humans must work and sweat over the earth in order to glean enough food to survive. Families are torn apart by this same kind of sin, a choice that one person makes that has greater ramifications than they will ever know. And then we come to a place like this, and we have ashes smeared on our foreheads in an effort to remember what happened long ago in the garden and what will happen to each and every one of us. We will die. How strange a thing it is to say that these days. Because the world is always trying to convince us of the contrary. It seems like three out of every four commercials I see on television are for a pill that will make you feel younger. Or buy this cream and will erase the wrinkles on your skin. Buy this product and hair will grow back where it once was. We'd rather have a pretty world. We'd rather have a world with a pill or a cream or a spray that can fix all of our problems. We bring roses to graveyards. Politicians bump up statistics to make things sound better than they really are. We do everything we can to cover our scars, the ones that are physical and the ones that are emotional. And some churches on Ash Wednesday, including some in our town today, they didn't have an Ash Wednesday service in a sanctuary where people knelt and confessed. No, they had ashes to go with a cup of joe. Ashes to go with a cup of joe. This is supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be disruptive. It's supposed to change and throw you off everything you have going on in your life, it's not something you can just get with a cup of coffee in the morning. This is confronting the fact that you will die. God's pronouncement to Adam and Eve, that terrifying moment when they were kicked out of the garden and told that they would suffer until they returned to the ground, that strange expression, you are dust, and to dust you shall return, it's should. But sometimes it's really good to be afraid. It's good to be afraid because it reminds us what a tremendous blessing it is to be alive at all. Sometimes it's good to be afraid because it makes us appreciate the people we have in our lives before they go. Sometimes it's good to be afraid and get down on our knees and confess how we have fallen apart and because we do this and helps to remind us that we are not God. And sometimes we need to catch a glimpse of ourselves in the mirror after we've had this cross put on our foreheads because it reminds us that we are gods and that this cross is not ours to bear. This day, this Ash Wednesday, it's a moment. It's a moment for us to confess our sins. And for sins of all the people who aren't here, we bow our heads and we're adorned with the sign of death. Not just as a reminder to us and to others that we will die, but the important reminder that God will not let death be the final word. 
That's the hope. The hope that we need on a day like today. Because we know how the story ends. We know that the pronouncing in the garden was not the final word. We know that the final word is not suffering or death or dirt or even dust. We know that the final word is Jesus the Christ. The ashes that are in the sign of the cross on our head are not our crosses to bear, but Christ, who carried his to a place called the skull and was nailed to it for the world. Jesus Christ is God's greatest and final word, because in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him, that sin that Adam and Eve committed was reconciled unto the Lord. In him, we are brought back into that paradise, into that great dwelling of God's grace where the light always shines in the darkness. So be afraid. Be afraid. Let these ashes dirty your lives a little bit this evening. But never forget. Never forget the hope that has been made available to, the, to us through the one who hung on the cross that we wear on our foreheads. The one who died and rose again. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.